a little while, and you will see me no longer. And again a little while, and you will see me. So some of his disciples said to one another, what is this he says to us? A little while, and you will not see me. And again a little while, you will see me. And because I am going to the Father. So they were saying, what does he mean by a little while? We do not know what he's talking about. Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him. So he said to them, Is this what you're asking yourselves? What I meant by saying, A little while and you will not see me, and again a little while and you will see me. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will not see me, and again, uh, truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will, come, will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. In that day, you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you have asked for nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive, that your joy may be full. I have said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I no longer will speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day, you will ask in my name. And I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf. For the Father himself loves you, because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and have come into the world, and now I am leaving the world and going to the Father. His disciples said, Ah, now you are speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming, indeed it has come, when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. On the 6th of June 1944, D-Day, 181 members of D Company of the 2nd Airborne Battalion of the Oxford Light Infantry were given the task of taking Pegasus Bridge in Normandy, France. Many of us will remember our friend Bernard Osborne, dear friend of us in the church family, long-time member of Christchurch Bromley, who went to the Lord three years ago. And Bernard flew a glider uh, that night and fought for the bridge. The men were led that night by a man called Major John uh, Howard. And I imagine that he would have uh, briefed uh, his men about the uh, long-term aims of the mission, the medium-term and the long-term plans, about how the capture of the bridge would limit the Nazi counterattack after the Normandy invasion, uh, especially as the... Uh, landing took place on Sword uh, Beach. So he would have explained the long-term plan, how it fitted in, the medium-term plan, and then 
After that, he would have focused on the very next things that were to happen, the very next few hours. Uh, You will take off from RAF Tarrant Rushton in Dorset. Uh, You will land uh, 15 minutes after midnight. You will fight for the bridge. It took them 10 minutes to take it. You can expect reinforcements at 0300 hours. Do you see the the long term, the, the medium term, and then the imminent? And that is something of what Jesus Christ is doing in this passage, was doing in that final evening before his death on the cross. He's, he's laid out the long term, the, the medium term. He's laid out the, the big plan, how he's come from the Father and is going back to the Father. He's told them that he's not going to leave them just to muddle along in life. They won't be alone. The Holy Spirit will come. In fact, they'll be like a vine that's growing, that's flourishing, not just muddling along. And yet they will be hated. They'll be hated by the world. And yet even then, the Holy Spirit will be with them to confront the world and to glorify God, as we heard last week. And now in these verses, Jesus focuses on the crisis that they're about to face. Before all of that is the cross. In just a little while, in a a matter of minutes and, and hours, they will face the crisis. They will see Jesus face the crisis of crises. But they need to have in their mind, fixed front and centre, before they step into that, what the cross will achieve. Because you would ask of that event, what possible good could come out of this terrible crisis? And so Jesus teaches them. And what he teaches them, I think, will help us to whatever we face. And so out of the crisis of the cross, let's see three things that come. First, there's lasting joy. Then there's access to the Father. And finally, there's victory for failures. So first of all, out of the crisis of the cross will come lasting joy. So verses 16 to 19. It's a, I mean, as you look at it, it's a funny little conversation, isn't it? There's all of this stuff about a, a little while and, and what's going on. I think one of the points that John wants to bring home to us is that they just simply didn't get it. You can mention as many times this little while and is it a little while and that just keeps coming up. John wants us to see that just before the cross, before the Spirit came, they just could not get it. And it's easy for us to be harsh on them. We have the benefit of hindsight. But if we were there, we would have been exactly the same. You and I would not have understood what Jesus was talking about. I mean, imagine for a second that, uh, you know, I said at the end of the service, I said, look, I'm huddling everyone. Um, just, just so you know, I've been at the church for, for 10 years, and in a little while, you won't see me. And then, in a little while, you will see me again. <laughs> I mean, after coffee, you'd be like, What's man talking about? I mean, is he going to is he going to the loo? Is he um, <laughs> is he going on holiday? Is he going to do a magic trick? I mean, what's going on? You wouldn't have you wouldn't have known. And it's confusing. Add in the bit at the end of verse seventeen about I'm just going to see my father for a bit, 
And it's no wonder that in verse 18 they're saying to each other, I don't know what he's talking about. I mean, do you know what he's talking about? I, I thought I understood him about five minutes ago. Now I haven't got a clue. You know, they've got that Jesus is leaving. They've got that bit. But they haven't worked out the various returns that he'll make. He's talked about the resurrection in veiled terms. He said that he'll somehow come back in the Holy Spirit. There's, there's coming back at the end of time as well. They, they've got those three horizons, but they just haven't worked out where the little bit fits in with that. Now pause. In terms of timing, the, the little while must be the gap between the, the cross on Good Friday and the resurrection on Sunday. It's the only bit that fits with that short period of grief and followed by joy. But Jesus isn't really concerned so much with the timing. Notice he's most concerned with his friends. He's most concerned for them and the storm of grief that is about to engulf them. And so in verse 20, he prepares them for sorrow, but he says that they'll pass through that to joy. So just look down, verse, verse 20, the first part, 28, truly, truly. It's amen, amen. He says, you know, listen up to this bit. I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. So Jesus knows that 24 hours later on Friday evening, his friends will be utterly heartbroken. They will be in the pit of the deepest misery imaginable. And yet Jesus foresees that also on that very same evening, the world will be rejoicing. They'll think it's brilliant that Jesus has died. So you can imagine, I don't know if there was a sort of pre-Passover drinks party, but I imagine it was a very happy occasion for the Jewish leaders. I imagine that they toasted Pilate. You know, raise a glass to Pilate. It was all smiles. The world was rejoicing. But again, back to verse 20, the second part, verse 20b, you will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. Jesus knows that three days later, their grief will turn into joy. And in verse 21, he uses the illustration of childbirth and describes the anguish of that. I feel on slightly shaky ground um, describing the anguish of, of that. I can testify out one remove to the, the anguish of, uh, of that. Um, but my job during labour was, was not to assess the, the sort of where labour fits on the, on the scale of possible anguish. That wasn't my job on the day. My job was to say, uh, breathe, um, breathe. Uh, and uh, do you want a snack? No, you don't want a snack. Um, breathe. That was my, my job. But I can testify at one remove to, to the pain, to the anguish, but also to the joy. Sorrow turning into joy. And look, I, I know that there would be some who've had a bad experience of, of that, who do remember the anguish. We have a friend who experienced PTSD um, as she would look back on that. And yet Jesus' point still stands that the sorrow does turn into joy when the baby is born. In fact, it's stronger than that. Jesus is saying that the very thing that brought sorrow is also the very thing that brings joy. 
And so it will be with the disciples. The very thing that brings them sorrow, the cross, is also the very thing that will bring them joy as they realise all that the cross achieved for them. And so look, if you're looking in on the the Christian faith, it is an oddity of the Christian faith that we call the Friday on which Jesus was murdered, Good Friday. It's It's a strange thing. It's a strange thing that the death of our leader is the source of our joy. But it is. Not in a twisted way, but because the cross reveals God's love. It won our forgiveness and turned back the reign of evil. And so, verse 22, Jesus says, I will see you again, and no one will take your joy from you in that moment. The cross brought them lasting joy. It was woven as a thread through the rest of their lives, even as they suffered a hardship and hatred for Jesus. And you may be in a tough season, a crisis. Not like the crisis they faced, but we face different crises and we need to be ready for the next one when it comes along and to learn to draw on the joy that is available in the cross of Jesus. And this little sort of picture of in a little while anguish and then in a little while joy is a sort of picture in microcosm of life in this world for us. There's sorrow in this world. There's joy woven in as we trust in Jesus. But it's not until that final day when Jesus returns, that he can and will say to us, I will see you again, and in that day, no one will ever take your joy from you ever again. In this world, it's there for a bit, and then it's taken away. But there is coming a day, Jesus says, when I will look you in the eye and say, no one now can ever take your joy ever from you. It's what our friend and brother John Circum experiences even now in the presence of the Lord Jesus. Lasting joy. The second thing that then comes out of the cross is access to the Father. Let's read verses 23 to 24. In that day you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now you've asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. And the key word here is, is Father. Uh, six times we get it in, in six verses. See, Jesus knows that the disciples are worried about many things, but one of the things that must be on their mind is about their access to Jesus going forward. You know, what will they do when they can't just walk up to Jesus when there's a problem or they've got a question? What will they do when they can't walk up to him and ask him for for guidance, for wisdom, for comfort? And the answer that Jesus gives is, you'll be able to go to my Father. You'll be able to go straight to him. And so I think the emphasis of verse 23 works like this. In that day, you will ask nothing of me. Whatever you ask of my Father in my name, he will do it. Now the in my name there doesn't mean that we have to slavishly sort of say in Jesus' name in every prayer for it to count. It's not what he's going on about. Jesus is talking about the work on the cross that he's going to do. And that's why he says in verse 24, until now you've not 
done this. You've not asked anything in my name because the cross hasn't happened yet. So no Old Testament Jewish child would have been taught to use the intimate word father of God up to this point, other than the sense that he was our father in creation or the the father of the nation of Israel in a general sense, but not in an intimate sense. But when the cross happened, Jesus was ascended to the father and we enter a new stage of salvation history. And so it is such a privilege that earlier in the service, together we said the Lord's Prayer, which starts with our Father, that we can call God my Father. And of course, the prayer ends with in Jesus' name. They will have, you see, direct access to the Father in the name of Jesus, asked, approaching in the name of Jesus, because Jesus is now with the Father. It's a bit like Jesus has opened a, a, a bank account. There's a picture of a bank in uh, the one I bank with. Um, don't, I, I don't know why I didn't put Lloyd's bank up there. That would have been... Uh, uh, there we go. I missed, I missed a trick there. But, um, you know, it's as if Jesus opened a bank account in his name um, with the Father. But if we're joined to Jesus, we have full access to all of the riches of that bank account. Because of him, we can draw on those riches. And so verse 24, they can ask for anything, any help they need that is in line with the purposes of that account. One of which is their joy in Jesus Christ. That is one of the purposes of the bank account that Jesus has established for us in heaven. That we would have joy in Jesus Christ. I wonder how often we ask for that, therefore, given that that is one of the the stated aims of God's bank account for us in heaven. That we might pray, Father, please, grow my joy in you, Lord Jesus, in all of the tough things of life, that my joy might be increasingly uh, full. Let's read on in verse 25 and 27. Jesus says, I've said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I'll no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day, you will ask in my name, and I do not say that I will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you, because you've loved me and have believed that I came from God. Jesus' speech is, is veiled. It's hidden from them. They think the hour has come in verse 29. If you just look down, they think, ah, now you're speaking plainly. We'll get to that in a minute. They think it's come. They think they've got it, but it turns out they haven't. Because it becomes clear that the day or the hour that Jesus is speaking about, when, when it will become clear, doesn't come until after his resurrection. Think of how in Luke's gospel, if you know that, Jesus is meeting with some people on the, on the road to Emmaus and he teaches the same stuff that he's taught before, nothing new, but now after the resurrection, he opens their mind and they get it. He speaks plainly and they see it. There'll be a, there'll be a shift after the resurrection. That's when the day, the, the, the hour, the, the, the minute will come when they see it, but it's not yet. The the, the cross, you see, will bring full access to the Father. And so Jesus says, I don't say that that I will ask the Father on your behalf. In that day, you won't ask me um, on your behalf. And then I sort of ferry it up to God and then come back and say, yeah, um, the Father says this, he's heard you. And I I ferry the prayers back and forth. No, 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 that's not how it's going to be. You'll have direct access to the Father because 
The Father himself loves you. The Father himself. What a precious phrase that is. Verse 27. The Father himself loves you. I wonder what you make of that. Uh, some people, some Christians, have a, have a suspicion of God the Father. It, it can lie under the surface, but it can really affect our relationship with God. It can lead to anxiety. Or, or, or lack of assurance. Maybe because of our experience of earthly fathers. Or because Jesus seems really clear, but you know, the father seems a bit shadowy. Or we fall into the error of, of thinking that there was sort of the Old Testament God. Maybe we think of the father and he was sort of scary and, and brought judgment. And then there's the New Testament God, Jesus, who's, who's much kinder and, and nicer. That's, um, that's an error that the Bible rules out. We're not to think of, of them sort of divided like that. The Bible reveals Father, Son, and Spirit, revealed bit by bit through the Bible, sure, but all of the way through, just and merciful together. Jesus, in other words, is the perfect revelation of his Father. Colossians 1.15, you could look it up later if you want, says that Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the exact representation of his being, like a stamp of a coin. In other words, everything that we're drawn to in Jesus is exactly what the Father is like. Just turn back a page to John chapter 14, would you? John chapter 14 and um, page 1086 and um, chapter 14, verse 8. Do you remember at the start of our little series here, Philip said, verse 8, Lord, show us the Father and that's enough for us. And Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and you still don't know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I'm in the Father and the Father is in me? Jesus perfectly reveals God the Father. So are we sure of Jesus' love? Well, we can be sure of the Father's love. Are we drawn to Jesus as the one who's utterly in control and authoritative and yet also tender and approachable? Well, the Father is precisely like that. Jesus reveals him perfectly. You see, Jesus just doesn't want us thinking that his death sort of twisted the arm of God, of a reluctant father to love us. Uh, John 3, 16 says, For God, the Father, loved the world so much that he gave his Son. You see, it was because the Father loved us that the Son, who also loved us, died. Wasn't the Son twisting the Father's arm? No, no, the Father himself loves you. Himself loves you. That was the new phase of salvation history that they were moving into. It's the phase that we live in now. And so... I don't know what's going on in your life at the moment. I know some of it, but not all of it. Often we cannot see the reason for what's going on. It's confusing for us. And Jesus is saying that the reason that it can't be is it can't be because the Father doesn't love us or we've somehow sinned away his love or, or there's some sort of hidden backstage purposes that the Father has that Jesus doesn't. No, no, no. Jesus says the Father loves you, not because of anything you've done, 
You've become joined to Jesus. And the Father loves you because he loves you because he loves you. And in whatever crisis we face, we can preach that to ourselves. We can take our name and put our names just in that verse uh, there. In, in our health crisis, we can say, Matt, the Father himself loves you. In our bereavement, our anxiety, on the commute, in the mundane, at home, married or single, we can say, the Father himself loves you. It's a very precious truth for believers. It comes right out of the crisis of the cross. The cross brings access to the Father. Let's come to the third and the last in verse 28 to 33. The, the third thing that comes out of the cross is victory for failures. Victory for failures. It's a slightly more opaque heading, so let me try and explain. In verse 28, Jesus gives a really clear summary of his mission. The two halves of it. Verse 28, let me read. I came from the Father and have come into the world. First half, first half of John. And now I'm leaving the world and going to the Father. And in verse 29 to 30, the disciples exclaim, now we get it. Jesus, now we get it. We are right with you. And suddenly you see they're confident in themselves. We're right with you, Jesus. We've got it. They think the hour has come when they're going to see. But as we said earlier, that's not going to come till after the resurrection. And so in verse 31, Jesus, well, he reigns on their parade, really. Are you really right with me? If you really got it, the hour is going to come. Do you now believe that the hour is going to come very soon? It's, it's, it's on us. It's come. When you'll be scattered, each to your own home, and you'll leave me all alone. Yet I'm not alone, for the Father is with me. But by the way, if, if um, again, if you're thinking about the Christian faith, you're looking in on it. Here's a verse that gives us tremendous confidence in the reliability of the eyewitness accounts. If you were making up the gospel, you would never include the bit that makes you look like a complete fool when you desert Jesus. If you're trying to establish credibility as a gospel writer, you'd just airbrush that bit out. You'd never include it, unless it was true, unless it happened. But you see what Jesus is saying? Um, it's not going to be you and me together achieving the cross. It's not how it's going to work. Do you remember this film? Some of us remember this film, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Do you remember that? The Last Stand. The two of them going down together. If you've not seen it, you've got to watch that. You've got to watch it. It's a great film. Going down together. That's how the disciples imagine it. We'll go down together, Jesus. We'll be with you right to the end. And Jesus says, it won't be like that. You won't contribute. In fact, you will fail. I will go alone as the Saviour, just me. Well, the Father and me, we'll, we'll go together. Friends, have we got that? Have we understood this? We can't contribute to our salvation. It's very, very humbling for us, isn't it? We don't go shoulder to shoulder. He does most of it and we, you know, we might do 20%. Not at all. The disciples weren't there. They weren't in the picture. And it's the same for us. But I wonder, I wonder if we're exhausted in the Christian life because sometimes we try to present to ourselves and others that we are right with Jesus. I am right with Jesus. I'm there alongside him, you know. And so someone asks us how we're going at the moment and we feel the need to accentuate the positives of our Christian walk. 
of our Bible reading, of our evangelism. We say, you know, we, I'm right with Jesus. You know, I'm there with him. And we can be exhausted because actually we, we have to cover up the fact that none of us are. We're all failures. That's the heart of the Christian faith. We desert him time after time in his ways all of the time, every day this week. But it's wonderfully liberating if we get a hold of this, that Jesus knows that. Jesus knew that they would fail. He declared it to them just before, and he was going to the cross anyway. Four failures. Jesus sees through the bluff. He sees through the confidence, and it doesn't turn him off us. In fact, it's precisely why he came. It's what he's all about. That's what the cross will be all about. He knows our failure. He goes for our failure. He succeeded where we fail. And he has overcome for us. And so we come lastly to verse 33, to the last words that Jesus spoke to them together. I've said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. As, Jesus, as the disciples look back on these words, it must have reassured them. In all of their remorse for deserting him, it wasn't the end of the game. There was still peace. And this tribulation that they faced, the suffering that they endured in their life, it wasn't a sign that they'd gone off path. No, Jesus predicted it as the normal Christian life. In the world, you'll have tribulation. All of us know that whether it's the tribulation of being known as a Christian, whether it's just the tribulation of living in a fallen and a broken world. And Jesus wants us to take heart. He says to us, take heart, be encouraged, be strengthened. I have overcome the world. I have won. See, think back to um, Pegasus Bridge. On the morning of the 7th of June, people would have woken up in their beds back in England and they would have heard the news of the victory of Pegasus Bridge and of D-Day itself. And though they weren't there, though they didn't contribute, they could have said, we won. We won. A great victory. The victory of Major Howard and the men was for them. They were joined to their triumph. And it's the same with the cross. If we're friends with Jesus Christ, if we're in him, if we belong to him, if we're in the vine, his victory, his cross, his resurrection was for us and we're on the winning side. We have overcome and we will overcome. And so as we close, I don't know what this week holds for you. We know some of it, but there's lots that is uncertain for us. There's tribulation to come, no doubt. And I guess we can be sure of various things as we go into this week that will continue to fail. Jesus, that will desert him in various ways, that will face tribulation, that the world may hate us. But we also know that Jesus knew all of that when he took us on. And he wants us to have peace and to rest in him and the words that he speaks. And so know this, says Jesus. Know this, says Jesus. Your joy will last forever. The Father himself loves you and Jesus has overcome the world. Let's pray. Let's have a moment of quiet. The Father himself 
loves you. Father, thank you for that precious truth that you yourself love us. Thank you for all that the cross has achieved. And we pray that in all of the busyness of life this week, all of the voices, internal and external, that you would bring us back to this truth and this truth might, um, your spirit might remind us of it. It would come back to us time and again this week. That you yourself uh, love us. Thank you for the access that Jesus has won to you. In Jesus' name. Amen.